right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 124. Jason Lingren is with me, and as promised, we will be going over questions submitted by subscribers of Crow Triple Seven Radio.com. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How goes it, man? Wonderful. How about you? Oh, can't complain. It's a little hot and muggy, but it's better than frozen. What do we got for the intro here? Well, the big news. The big news is we are going to have a second show live every Sunday on Truth Frequency Radio, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be live with the chat room where we can have an open discussion every Sunday. Right. So we're doing this for a couple reasons, as we've talked so much about what it means to go into the fall these days. I guess it could be summed up. You know, we're taking eggs out of one basket and spreading them around. But more so, a lot of people have requested a live show where they could interact through a chat. So we're going to do that. And again, it's on Truth Frequency Radio. Jason, I'm not sure, but I think, didn't we say it was going to be called Crow 777 Live? Is that right? Yes, it is. Okay, Crow 777 Live, Sunday nights, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or basically New York time. And that begins, as fate would have it, on 9-9. I guess that's a good starting day, but we should probably be finishing on that day. (laughs) Anyhow, we're going to dive into... Subscriber submitted questions here. Um, we set up an email for people to put them all to us in in one gathering spot this time, which made it a lot easier. But there were some very long emails. So Rose um, did a lot of editing to get down to the questions. But I want to thank you all for the messages and other information that you sent. Uh, it all got read. But for the sake of the show and to get through as many as questions as we can, we have over 100 this time, um, we're going to get through what we can in the first show. They've been edited down to basically just the questions. Anyhow, Jason, we probably should jump in. we got so much to get through here. All right, the first one from Seaforest Blue. Do you think that cymatics and maybe the law of correspondence can be used to infer the true shape of our world? You know, that's an interesting question, but I think the quick answer here is that I would need to know a lot more than I do. Uh, I am aware that this place we call Earth has a a resonant tone. Um, I don't know if you've heard about this, Jason. I think it's either F or F sharp. Have you ever heard this, Jason? Yes. Is it F sharp? I don't remember what note it is, but there's definitely a frequency that I'm blanking on the number that they say the Earth is vibrating at. Right. So the, the, what we call Earth does have a resonant tone. If I remember correctly, it's F-sharp. I could have that wrong. But to use cymatics in that way, I would need to know so much more. I mean, it's to say the least, it's confusing. You can use any range of frequencies. There is an endless variety of sacred geometry that gets created, and a lot of it has to do with the shape of the plate that you're using to generate the frequency through, which does point to um, this place must have a shape, but I'm not sure how, how we'd go at that. Go ahead, Jason. Also, we do intend at some point in the future to explore cymatics further just to see what we come up with. No doubt. I would even, you know, if we if we can, Jason, I think we need to go back to the to making a film idea about that. Um, it's so visually stunning. And there's so many things I could think of to do that I haven't seen done. But anyway, let's keep pressing. Number two is, in your estimation, how far away is the moon? Um, I, you know... That's a direct question, and for me to answer that, I would just have to be pulling a guess out of my hat. Um, There are people that I am watching who are working on trying to narrow this down. As you may remember, the last big solar eclipse we had here, I did make the statement that since the sun is known to be an infinite light source, that the sun itself must be in the neighborhood of 70 miles wide. Um, I can add that. And since we know the moon is supposed to be the same size as the sun, and in my view, they're similarly 
distant from us, but I really couldn't tell you. I've heard a lot of numbers. Uh, they're interesting, but I think we need more to go on. I think that bears further scrutiny, real experimentation. Indeed. And, and not only that, trigonometry, some people are working on ways to use trigonometry and other methods to try to get a, a solid basis to make a statement about distance. Number three, on the other side of the world, where it is already night, can they see the moon too, or would it be a new moon for them? How could I, as a child in New York, see the sun and moon in the same sky, and yet somewhere in Asia or Australia, they can only see the moon, but not the sun? You know, a lot of people have done videos on this. It wasn't too long ago, uh, Sun and Moon Family United, which is a YouTube channel that has me on sometimes. They've got clips that I think actually went at this. Um, to, to, to answer concisely here, it's because we've been given the wrong model. It doesn't work. Uh, endless people have done the whole, how come I can see the sun and the moon in the sky during the day, um, and, and having issue with the phase of the moon or the fullness of the moon. And these are absolutely valid observations. Um, to answer this appropriately, um, you would have to have direct observation endpoints to make any statement. What we're finding in the Crow777radio.com forums, which the Equinox thread is still going, is we find any number of bizarre things that you would not expect about the equinoxes, which basically has to do with the path of the sun. Um, we can't even figure out how any map or model would begin to describe what we're charting out. Um, so... Again, uh, I hate to cop out so many times in a row, but we just simply need more information. Number four. During 9-11, news anchors kept reusing the word normalcy, when now, obviously, the word is actually normality. Why would anchors be scripted to use fake words? Was it part of the spell that was being cast, and what was the point? By definition, however, both of these words are in the modern dictionary and are considered interchangeable. Right. I think it would be interesting to go back to maybe a 50s dictionary and see if we find it there. But, you know, what's going on here is what goes on with all news. It's Pavlonian. These are keywords. And if you go and look at any number of newscasts, you'll find that they're using the exact same keywords. When I wrote, tried to write articles online to make real news, um, what I found was it was all about keywording. So I think the obvious, the obvious deduction here is the keywords are chosen then used and you've got to realize anything that goes out over airways or across the television that information is also going online and online is driven by keywording in many ways also don't forget anything you see on mainstream television or any mainstream media at all is definitely coming from the top down so whatever you're hearing or seeing was definitely put there on purpose Right. When I was writing those news articles and we were told we had to re-echo these keywords, you couldn't even find the original source for any given story. I'm not even kidding. Um, I tried to do due diligence. There was things on this this goose story um, that I was supposed to rewrite and rewrite the keyword six times um, as deduced from search engine returns. And when I went to try to go find where it started, I couldn't do it. And it goes to show, man. Go, go ahead, Jason. And the last one from Seaforest Blue. In the past, CAPTCHAs required us to identify words and digits. Recently, it is to choose the images that contain whatever it is they ask you to identify. In your opinion, what is this about? Is it getting us to teach the AI? Everything online is teaching AI. I don't think there's anything that we do or any data collected that isn't being fed to AI in some way, shape, or form. And as we know, AI learns. So, I mean, I think the simple answer here is certainly. Don't forget that anything you're doing where you're interacting on the internet, you are working with an algorithm in some way, shape, or form. So goodness only knows what they're doing with that. 
Right. I've even uh, read recent research that even uh, the amount of time it takes you to do things like start to type a word or the amount of time it takes to type a word, all that's being collected uh, in some of the re- recent research I've done. It's crazy. Next up, we have DZFMFP. Is there any validity to the claim that black people are the real aboriginals of the United States and never came on slave ships? Leaders in the black community teach this and that the out-of-Africa theory is not accepted. So not too long ago, Jason and I did an episode on blood, which was basically covering the RH positive and RH negative idea, the RH factor in blood. What we found was a lot of research provided by the black community and black professionals and people with big degrees like PhD were claiming that original ancestry to the African continent, generally those people would be black and RH negative. I have never heard any claim about... um, black people residing here first. So that's the best I can do. Do you remember anything about the RH Factor show, Jason? I do. I do think there's some massive validity to all of that. The problem is we don't know what the real science is behind evolution and how the human species developed. So there seems to be something very significant with this blood factor, but what exactly it is definitely bears much further scrutiny. I'll, I'll add one thing that we did comment on um, because it was quite apparent. We found a lot of racism in the research. Um, a lot of the research that came out of Europe seemed to be poo-pooing and downing the ideas from the black community or what represented the idea of RH-negative black communities um, from Africa. So what I walked away with was it certainly felt like there was racism in the actual research we did. And that wouldn't surprise me at all, because you even see that with map making, where, for instance, North America will be much larger than it really is on a map in comparison to Africa, when in reality, it's a lot smaller. And you can go do that homework yourself, and it's quite obvious. So people who are in control make things look the way they want to. So next we have, is there validity to the claim that the American landmass is actually Morocco? <laughs> Nothing would surprise me at this point, but again, this is a first for me. I've never heard that, um, but we say all the time uh, that we do not have an accurate map. I've used the Mercata projection to try to prove it to people, comparing it to any number of maps that we have. Um, what will you add, Jason? Well, I'm going to reference back to my previous answer. Goodness only knows what the reality of things are, because I think those in control skew things the way they want to. They're going to put out the perception that they want you to have. Right. Uh, We don't have a valid map. I'm not sure how to go at a question like this. That's actually literally the first time I've ever read that idea. Very interesting. Have to look into it more. Next up, we have Benjamin. I have young boys who are fascinated by dinosaurs and space. Like Santa Claus, there will come a time when they learn the truth, but these things are different because these are things that are pounded into their heads by the education system. How do I go about talking about these things in a meaningful way without shattering their worlds? Jason, how do you handle these things with your child? Go for it, dude. Well, my daughter's older. She's 15 now, so it's a little different with her. I tell her that a lot of what we are presented with from a mainstream point of view is meant to paint a picture in the way that the controlling factors want it to appear to us. That doesn't mean that every single thing you read or see or hear everywhere is a lie. However, you have to keep a very open mind and challenge everything, and when you find evidence that goes against that mainstream point of view, by all means, pursue that knowledge and try and figure things out for yourself. 
You know, I guess I would add this. Every child is different, and I think a parent is probably the best source to understand what what can be said and what should be avoided. But I don't think it hurts anybody at all to point out this is what the mainstream textbooks say, but there are these alternative ideas. Um, and I think that's a way that you could possibly go at it. And I would further say... Things like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, you know, these train the, it trains the mind of a child to believe in nonsense. Then they later learn it's nonsense. Then they grow up and tell the same lie over again. And this is training. So I think a key part of this is to instill in a child that just because something is written somewhere does not make it real. Um, for me, that's maybe the, the key thing to communicate. Do your own homework. That's what I tell everybody, no matter how old. Next up, we have Andrew. How difficult do you think it would be to fly a plane or a drone to verify whether or not Antarctica rests at the bottom of the Earth or if Antarctica surrounds all the other continents holding in the oceans? And what you're implying there is the generally accepted flat Earth map that a lot of flat Earth groups use. With the ice wall around everything, I think it'd be very difficult. Um, you're looking at controlled air spaces. Uh, we are told that something 50, I, I always guess at this number, it's something like 52 nations guard the supposed border to Antarctica. But uh, a drone, that's not really doable. The problem with a drone for us is communication distance. Um, most I've got friends right now who are actually getting involved in drones and taking some very interesting footage. But for the most part, it's one to five miles that they can communicate with the drone. So that would leave airplanes. And I think you find that a lot of this is controlled airspace, um, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, that's just what I think is probably correct. I think the big thing you'd have to do is have a drone that has the capability to go the distance from whatever country you can get closest to the Antarctic and then figure out, do you have the means of actually getting a drone there and back again? Or even a drone there transmitting back what you want to see, even if you lose the drone. That's a technical question. That's something that uh, would have to be looked into. Well, the the other problem here is is you know I've seen some high end drones. Uh, Jason, you've been following my friend. Um, they're getting thirty minutes of flight time, and if they go at top speed, it reduces from there. It's not to say that there are better drones, but uh, as far as I know, those are not publicly available drones that could travel a distance like that. Not only that, you'd be going well out of line of sight, so you'd have to have some aeronautic chops to pull that off. I don't think it's really feasible for the average person to think about doing it with a drone right now. As a matter of fact, a balloon may be much easier than either of those ways. Hard to know. Next, we have Chuckles. I tune my guitar and ukulele to 432 hertz. Do either of you. What are your thoughts on the subject? I know I do, Jason. Uh, when I whip out my guitar, I tune it to 432, or it is tuned to 432. So when I'm tuning it, it is 432. How about you? Everything I do, I have a Kemper. If anybody's a guitar player out there, they should know what that is. It's one of the best guitar processors on the planet. And I have it locked to 432 so I don't accidentally make a mistake and start in 440. I lent my Kemper a week ago to a friend of mine, and I've actually introduced the concept of 432 to him, and he's starting to use it. But when he was playing with a band, he'd forgotten that that's how I had it set. And he's like, why am I out of tune? Just ever so slightly, because it's only eight cents difference. And uh, that's the reason. But yes, I, everything I do, everything I compose is in 432 hertz. Eight cycles a second difference there. And I would point out, you know, many years ago when I was young playing guitar, it wouldn't have been so easy to tune to 432. But now they have these little tuners you can clip onto the neck of your guitar. A lot of them are called snarker. That's one of the popular things. Very easy to tune to any I'll say cycles per second that you like instead of hertz. So there's that. 
Yeah, they have a big range on them. Uh, the Snark is is one of the most popular ones and very handy. You just clip them on your headstock and swivel the little face of it so you can see it in any direction. And here's the thing, a lot of old classical music, the tunings were all over the place. So they are very convenient for that, especially if, let's say, you're a violin player or something like that, and you're playing a, a Mozart piece. I think a lot of his stuff was really different from 440. It was like 421 or something like that. So there, there's validity to a lot of tunings. 440 was just an agreed-upon standard for whatever reason in the first half of the 20th century. Right. You know, I was going to go at this at one point, Jason. Back in the day, um, before the modern era, uh, they must have had some basis in nature to know what to tune to, right? Whether it was a tuning fork they'd created or something. There must have been a standard basis for someone like Beethoven or someone earlier than Beethoven to know what to tune to. But anyhow, let's move on. What are your thoughts on airplanes not using jet fuel? You know, this became popular some months ago because of the channel, I forgot the name, and we, Jason and I did take a look at it, and just if you look at the weight ratio um, to the airplane, and you know, you've seen all the videos where they're stacking Camaros on the wing uh, to, to, you know, be the equivalent weight of jet fuel, it sure looks like there's an argument to be made there. Truth is, is I just haven't had time to go at it, um, but I think there's probably a there there. My thought was that perhaps the fuel is used in the initial takeoff and or landing to get the whole process started and that you use very minimal fuel while in flight because at that point you are using the compressed air to do the projection to push the jet. But I think this bears huge scrutiny. It'd be a hell of a thing if this ever came to be called common knowledge. Think of all the times that you were told the, tra the, the cost of air travel has gone up because of the price of jet fuel. <laughs> I'm just saying it's another <laughs> one. If this is true, it's another one of those lies that's got to be guarded till the end of time. Um, there, I'm guessing there would be some blow back there if it became common knowledge. Oh, absolutely. And the last, do you guys still listen to your old favorite tunes? You know, I do, but I just can't listen to them in the way I used to anymore. Uh, it's not there for me. Uh, I've taken it apart. I've dissected it. I understand how and why it came to be. And to be frank, uh, it's a kick in the gut at first. You know, I used to love Zeppelin. I can't really listen to Zeppelin anymore. I just can't do it occasionally. Um, I can tolerate it. Uh, I consider most of it low-minded, to be honest with you. I've gotten back into class classical music uh, lately, and it's a whole... It's a whole other way of listening to music because most of the music of the modern era is based on hooks and choruses that are catchy and words that are catchy. So when you go back to classical music, of course, if you listen to Beethoven's Fifth, you get your little, you know, classical hook. But for the most part, what you find is it's a whole other way to experience music. I guess that's what I can add. I do still listen to the music I like, have always liked. The thing is, I was able years ago to be able to separate my emotional state from facts and logical state once I started getting into this whole truth thing, whatever you want to call it, because I've been doing this a long, long time. Pre-9-11, actually, I really started looking into things in the late 90s out of curiosity, and then 9-11 happened, and I really got into just ripping everything apart. I can separate myself and understand logically that there is manipulation and some sinister aspects behind mainstream music, but that doesn't mean that I can't put it on, listen to it, and separate myself from that knowledge. 
You know, another thing that got me um, years ago as I first started to really rip this all apart is anytime you walk in with a guitar to play with other guitarists and you're going to play like rock and roll, almost always what it comes down to is some blues riff, 12-bar blues or something else is the commonly known thing because almost all rock is built on those blues ideas. And I began to realize that there's no reason for that. It's the same idea as a decade having a fashion style. And then all of a sudden the decade ends and then there's a new fashion style. It's all kind of scripted. And if you take that back to the music we grew up with, why isn't the variety so much more? And the reason is because if you're playing rock, you're playing within the fence of rock. And while occasionally you hear a song that's got a lot more going on, for the most part, it's very confined. Um, and that's another thing that bothered me. And as I got back into classical music, you really begin to understand that there is a massive range uh, that music can fly through. And most modern music only barely scratches the surface. That's very true. Music is limitless. It can be anything to anyone, anywhere. You know, I was just listening to Rachmaninoff the other day in my car, um, and it's mind-boggling, to say the least. But anyhow, let's move on. Next up, we have Rocky. In the early 1990s, there was a rumor that acid was going to come back, and sure enough, it happened. It was super easy to get acid in the 90s. Is there a correlation as to why it was everywhere in the 60s and the 90s? Well, I like the way you're thinking about it. Uh, I think that's a good way to consider things. Um, we did that in the last episode, flipping the six to make your nine idea. And while that doesn't make it true, it's always good to have that within the scope of the, the thought process. You know, don't don't get don't let little things like that fall by the wayside because sometimes they have something to tell you. Uh, Jason and I have covered how we got LSD back in the '60s. It came out of the universities. It was funded by the CIA, Tavistock, other places like that. It was then distributed by college professors all the bands we loved who were at universities and made mainstream. But I would point out at this point, I would not be surprised if you couldn't find a YouTube video that shows you how to make acid. If that's not true, I would imagine you have to have some level of chemistry background. But living in Southern California, I remember when meth amphetamine became such a problem in the 80s and it became massive it was invented there um, matter of fact it was invented in the town i grew up in and as they began to supposedly outlaw the ingredients what you found was these bathtub brews would use all these other things to make the same thing uh, i'm kind of wandering but we know how lsd got here originally and it was planned and implemented for social engineering so if in fact it has come back in any great way i don't know how you separate the two if it came out in a very large way, then it was intentional because one person or a small group of people couldn't make enough acid to get it out there and infiltrate an entire decade. So was it intentional? I can't prove that, but I would certainly think so. I don't know for certain, but it seems like you might need a lab and some chemistry chops, right, Jason? You do, yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Steven. Was the weather underground a false flag to discredit hippies? How could they have gotten bombs into the Pentagon and police stations? All that stuff was nonsense, and to make matters even more embarrassing for the, the common man or woman out there, they have a program, or at least they used to about a year ago, last time I looked at TV to any great degree, uh, it was, I think it was either news or something else, called Weather Underground, echoing back, who can forget the Obama campaign, this should be your first clue. He was palling around with terrorists, right? There's your Pavlo Pavlonian keywords to elicit an emotional reaction for the people that like him. They 
they will defend it for the people who hate him. They will beat him over the head with it. There's your Pavlov's dogs. But the, the terrorists he was supposedly palling around with were from the Weather Underground, of course. Old tricks are the best. The Weather Underground is a trick. And I will further point out, anyone can go look up um, the number of celebrities. I forget whether it was Dylan or Dustin Hoffman. Someone's apartment just happened to be next to one of their bomb manufacturing things and blows up. There's an old newsreel you can look up in New York. Uh, it's all nonsense. As Dylan said on national television, I made a deal with the chief. <laughs> I'm just trying to hold up my end, man. <laughs> gotta keep yep. my end of the bargain. And there it is. All this stuff is pre-planned, man. It just it is what it is. If you sign on the dotted line. Next up we have JP. My cell phone app tells me this bright object in the sky is Mars. From my California perspective, it remains bright in the sky, barely moving, only having shifted a bit more southward. Is it unusual that this object hasn't budged? Why is it in about the same place in the sky for so long? Um, I suspect that maybe um, a lot of people who ask me questions like this don't spend a lot of time looking at the sky. Uh, and I tell everyone, there's an open source freeware out there called Stellarium, uh, and it maps the night sky. I've used it for years and years. Um, you should... Every person should have a basic knowledge of what we call planets. Um, so if you look up, you know, that's Jupiter, that's Mars. Mars is very easy because it's incredibly bright, brighter than I've ever seen it right now. has an orangish hue to it. But you should be able to look up in the sky and recognize the basic overall things. I think it's key for everyone to do that and understand the direction you're looking. Um, I suspect that if you download Stellarium, and you tune it into the area of the country that you're in and then mess with it for a while, you'll have a better overview and, and it won't seem so outlandish. So there's all that. Next, we have Andrew. What are your thoughts on these topics covered in mainstream science? First, water comprised of two gases. As a chemist, I think water is an element in its own right. Nobody can split water into hydrogen and oxygen. Your thoughts, please. Did you know, by the way, that you can be poisoned by excessive amounts of oxygen? Yeah, I was aware of that, and I like the way you're thinking here, because to call water an element reflects what the ancient natural scientists said was true, and I accept that it's true. I accept that water is an element. I've been reading a book called One recently. Uh, not many of them went into print in the early 1900s. There is a person there claiming that the whole periodic table is incorrect and that there's a whole column that should be removed, and anything under the classification of noble gas should be considered a, gosh, I hope I don't get this wrong, a, uh, a master master tone. Um, I think I'm messing that up. But anyhow, anyone can look up the book one. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. So much of the science we've been handed is erroneous. I don't accept anything Einstein did. In my view, Einstein was put on the stage to poo-poo people who were proving things like ether are real because things need to propagate through something. That something is ether. That's one of the things that Einstein simply said did not exist, never having done an experiment, never having given a reason why. And by the way, why is it that Einstein wore the same clothes every day? But anyhow, Jason. Next we have, what are your thoughts about hydrogen being the most abundant substance in the universe? Yet here on Earth, we have to manufacture it, and it does not occur as a gas in nature. <laughs> it's kind of a loaded question because when someone says universe, I think of what's in our atmosphere. That's the universe I think about. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, we are told that hydrogen is that. I'm not a chemist, but um, 
I see the point you're making here, so I assume there's a there there. Uh, as far as what's beyond our atmosphere, I don't think we know for sure. I suspect it may be some kind of liquid. I suspect that what the natural scientists, the alchemists, and many of the most popular religious traditions that have made the test of time have all told us there is a hard, fast barrier of some kind and that there is a liquid of some sort above that. I think these things are probably closer to the truth, but other than that, I'm not sure what to add here. Well, it really comes down to whether the mainstream view of the universe is correct or not. If we are in this great big galaxy and there's more galaxies full of stars and all that, then hydrogen would be the most abundant element. But if indeed the, the research we've been doing proves to be so, even somewhat true, then that's a very different point of view. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I just don't accept most of the basis of, of anything that has to do with the sky or anything else. I don't accept for a second that the sun's a nuclear furnace. Um, the sun is electric. People have known this for many hundreds of years. The moon is magnetic. I am at a point where I think the only force we have to work with here is electricity, and and the daughter or or the daughter of electricity is magnetism, which would mean electricity or electromagnetism. I think that's where I am starting to land. Anyhow, Jason. And the last question from Andrew: Photosynthesis. It can be clearly demonstrated that plants do not absorb carbon dioxide and convert it to oxygen. Do educational demonstrations add extra substances to the experiment to fool the pupils? I would have to say yes, having gone through school. Um, you know, it wasn't too long ago I was making a thumbnail where I, who was it, Paul Simon or someone, I took lyrics from his song to say it's a one, you know, from looking back on all the crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all, uh, think at all, but... There was a time when I was big into bamboo. The claim at the time was that bamboo sequestered more carbon than any other plant. I got interested in it because I thought the bamboo could be used in Southern California to process human waste um, because some of those bamboos grow a foot or two a day. Um, they're very voracious. Um, but to get back to it, um, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I would have to take time to look at this specifically. Next, we have Gene Michael. What are your views on Neptune, Uranus, and Pluto? The Western tradition appears more convoluted compared to the older Vedic tradition, and the outer planets are not considered. To me, they seem to have been written into the sky by Royal Society scientists, which serves to misdirect interpretations of the sky clock. Is there a there there? Yes and no. Um, this is an interesting, interesting topic. I started going at this some four, maybe five years ago about the outer planets. As most of us know, if you go back to the natural sciences alchemy, it's always the five, what they call the five visible planets, um, the sun and moon. That Those were the things that were written into any kind of astrology or alchemical procedure. Uh, I read a manuscript from supposed adepts who made this claim. Um, that when the human consciousness arises to a certain point, we will discover that there are other so-called planets. And just to be clear, I don't accept planets as they are described. They are luminaries, in my view, same as the sun and the moon. Um, but these outer planets, they exist. I've looked at them through the telescope. Pluto, that's a questionable one, man. I've had a 12-inch telescope on Pluto, and it is the dimmest, faintest little dot starlight that you could ever imagine to the point. But here, here's where I'm coming from. Think back to a time, say, 300 years ago, when there was no city lights dimming out the sky that we can 
see at night. How is it that those people who studied the sky back then couldn't tell us that there's a Neptune, a Uranus, or a Pluto? You could make the argument that human sight doesn't go that far, um, but for some of these things, I don't think that's good enough because you can see them with your naked eye. I like the idea that as human consciousness rises, uh, more outer planets will get discovered. The people who accept that to be the case claim that we will discover more planets as human consciousness arises. But again, I am viewing this wholly as what we call planet luminaries, not something dirt and rock or gas in space that you could ever walk on, that kind of thing. Next, we have Dematrixed. How much do you clue your kids into reality of what this place is and where we are headed? Well, I have nephews. Jason can can address this more directly, but my nephews, uh, I, w- I was a bit like a second father to them for much of their early life. Uh, they question things, and so uh, I guess what you're asking here is, do you do you say, by the way, uh, the the world's being taken over, and freedom of speech and all these things are being locked down? I think it's important things to know. Um, that's my perspective. But again, every child is different, and I think it really takes the 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 adult in charge to perceive what is best for that particular child. I teach my daughter to question everything. And I most especially will point out when something happens to come up about social engineering programming. Next, what do you imagine our world should look like if it was not hijacked by our slave masters? Well, I think there's going to point where we're going to see that again. I think there was a point in the past when people were alive and knew this. Every created thing created by living men or women will see its end. That's a fact, Jack. There is no way around it. This world is based on change, and although as human beings, a lot of us don't like change, the fact is everything made possible in this place we call Earth is because of change, and this dictates that whether or not what you call the slave masters totally succeed in a takeover or not, it will see its end. We live in cycles, so um, I think this could be, you know, what's that old cheesy Belinda Carlisle song, you know, heaven is a place on earth. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And the reason I think that is because your mind precedes all reality. In other words, if everyone was very happy, contented, and higher-minded, maybe this place would come a lot closer to looking like heaven. I would think it would be a highly technological world that works in complete harmony with nature. That's a key point. Uh, Nature, so many people forget in the modern era. I mean, all of us have been programmed to forget. Nature is the basis for everything. There is no technology or any other thing in this world without nature. The problem is, is that modern science and technology try to fool us all into thinking that it's this magical thing called technology and science that could give a damn about nature. And in fact, science and technology will connive, um, uh, sometimes using made-up things to get to the end they're after regardless of of what happens because of it. Um, But at the end of the day, nature is the basis for everything. And I think that getting back to nature undermines the idea of slammers. In other words, I think humans to totally lose it all and become a bit like sheep, they have to be totally separated from nature. I honestly think that the society we would have if we didn't have a bunch of overlords would be some form of benevolent socialism, I guess is the best way to describe it, in the sense that whatever government existed would make sure that whatever you needed was available to you, that you could be anything you want because you wouldn't be wanting for anything or needing anything. And I think that all comes down to energy generation. I always use the example of the idea put forth in Star Trek. The Federation can create energy from whatever. You don't need anything in the Star Trek universe. You can be whatever you want. 
because you don't have any needs that aren't fulfilled. If you have free energy or nearly free energy, you can make food, you can make housing, you can do whatever, so you don't need anything. So the, the only reason the government would exist was just to make sure that everything ran smoothly and bad people didn't try and do bad things. But the thing is, you remove most of criminality when there are no longer any needs for survival. These are just my thoughts on it. Well, I, I will say, try to end on a positive note on a question that includes the word slave masters. Uh, every cycle will see its end. So if the people working so hard to stifle human consciousness and freedom of speech and all the things we see going on in the world, which is a bid for basically uh, a, a one world order uh, controlling everything, uh, that will see its end. Everything created will see its end. So they may get what they want in the short run. In the long run, it will be something else. Next, we have Wake the Sheeple. If the powers that be have to tell us what they are going to do in order to follow karmic law, I would like your opinion on how that would apply to the innocent babies injected with mercury, the marisol, formaldehyde, neglas, etc., before they could ever consent. It doesn't seem like karma is something they worry about, since they inject poisonous vaccines, spray poison on us, our food, and water, by saying it's good and healthy for us. Good point. It's undefensible, right? It's a bit like being turned into a corporation with your birth certificate and having your parents fooled into basically giving ownership of their child away uh, through registration and receiving a certificate. Yeah. How, how is it that anyone was notified of anything? I'm with you here. But you see, the problem with things like these inoculations is that when you say they, who are they? Who gives the inoculation? Well, a doctor or a nurse does. And why does the doctor or nurse do that? Because school trained them to do it that way. So in their minds, they're not hurting anyone. Their intention, for the most part, is they think they're helping. You see? So you've got to think about that, too. In, in some respect, it's almost like these terrible ideas get introduced into society. Then they pick up their own momentum and just keep rolling independent of any need for control. I would point all that out. But at the base of your question, I am freaking with you. Um, if you don't have the consent of a living man or woman or a child or anyone else, how the hell do you avoid what we would call karmic law? Um, I wish I knew the answer to that, but I don't excuse this. I don't excuse it at all um, for my own self. You know, I took inoculations when I was young, never knowing better. My God, when I was in the Marine Corps, I was a damn pincushion. You can't imagine how many inoculations I received in the Marine Corps. Um, and, and the real downside of that is that had I known any better at the time, um, I would have been court-martialed to refuse them. But anyhow, I'm drifting here, Jason. Well, I, I'm sure that from the elitist point of view, it's more the sense that, hey, we told your parents and they allowed it to happen. Right, and I'm I'm with Wake the Sheeple here. I don't accept that as as a plausible as plausible deniability. I don't accept it for a second. Next, we have David from Eugene. I'm finding difficulty with the Zionist Jesuit debate. Do you have any advice to help us separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to alternative news channels and all the information we are fed? Mm, do you get the gist of this, Jason? Do you understand where it's headed here? Well, there's definitely something to Zionism, which, of course, is very separate from just what a Jewish person is. I've actually been looking into that a lot lately, and there are a lot of Hasidic Jews who are very much against the concept of Zionism. They say that Israel is causing a lot of the misery on this world. So as far as that's concerned, yes, Zionism is its own thing, probably tied directly into the whole Rothschild Empire building kind of thing. Now, Jesuits, there's no doubt we've proven the Jesuits are behind a lot of the political undermining for a very long time. 
Right. Um, uh, we've we've talked about this a number of times, and it really starts to get sticky. Um, even some of the portrayals. There was a uh, there was a Netflix movie years ago that I saw called Borgia. Um, Pope Alexander was a Borgia, um, and they implied a number of times that he was a crypto Jew and they're hiding his Jewishness. Um, I guess if I have to look at this question and go at it, does it really matter? You see so many people wanting to have that catch-all word like Jew or Jesuit or these other things. To me, it's more important to understand what's being done. Um, and to, to put a fine point on it, Jason and I are doing some research on Zionism, and we may be covering that in a future episode. Now, as far as other alternative news channels, Crow and I both have very strong suspicions about the validity of quite a few of them out there, but it's not the easiest thing to prove 100%. But I usually go by the fruits of their labors. If someone gives you a punch bowl that is 90% good but still has 10% turd in it, then I would say that they are not a very good and valid source. But again, a lot of these things are hard to prove. Some people skew the information they put out with their religious views, for instance. So it's not necessarily that they are some sort of paid shill. It's just that they have their own viewpoint that they are stamping on the information that they're getting. So really, you have to approach any source individually and let your own higher mind decide for you whether the information is valid or not. For my part, in the modern age, the word news is a bad word. I have no interest in it. I have no need for so-called news. And if you logically break down any sort of so-called news, you will find quite clearly that what you're being presented with has no bearing on your life. If you com use common sense and logically break it down, I always use the example of, oh, terrorists beheaded some guy on the other side of the world. Well, what bearing does that have on anyone's life here? There's nothing they could do about it if it was true, which it isn't. Um, you see where I'm going here. So that that's that's my feeling about news. And I think that that same thing applies directly to alternative news channels, which is what they directly asked about. For me, it's more important to understand the nuts and bolts of living like a human being in a natural world than it is to hear about some supposed news from some other part of this place. Next, we have Josh D. We hear words like domestic terrorism being bandied about with this Alex Jones nonsense. If you guys are truly doing anything of value, which I believe you are, how long, if at all, do you think it will be before you have knocks at your door or something worse? How far do you think they are willing to go to stifle free speech? Well, um... Maybe we should just be blunt about this, Jason. I don't think in the last two years or more where there hasn't been pressure in one way, shape, or form, and Jason can vouch for this, it has been an endless minefield of things thrown in the way. Um, and that even sets aside the obvious things that happen, like the deletion of my YouTube channel and then the scrubbing of search returns for Crow 777 from millions, over 16 million, down to currently something like 60,000. It was at 6,000 at one point. There is never a a time when we are not being screwed with. What would you add, Jason? There are a lot of things going on to deter us, and I'm sure a lot of others too. I think it's much easier for them to just kind of mess with things behind the scenes, though, than be so direct like pounding on your door, because they can deny any of it. They can deny, for instance, changing your YouTube stats or how much right. traffic a site gets. Like all that, it it it's a big difference from them sending police at your door or whatever the implication is. I just think it's easier for them to just shut down things little by little. And they have. I mean, think about the, the way things were five years ago compared to how they are now. They are definitely 
working with algorithms on all these websites, for instance, to make sure that your information doesn't get out in the same way that a cute kitten picture does, for instance. Yeah, I mean, we talk all the time, Jason. Do you think there's been a time in the last two years when I haven't been dealing with something, defending or fending off from the website? I mean, it's nonstop. It goes on and on and on. And some of it is obvious and some of it is behind the scenes, but it's a constant struggle. And again, we're in the fall here. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with censorship. We see the queuing up and you bring up the Alex Jones nonsense here. They just did a public show of, oh, poor big old Alex Jones got you know censored to, to basically demonstrate a guy of that size is going to get censored. So what hope do any little people have? We're coming into the fall and it will be interesting to see if they go head on again, deleting channels in the way they did, or whether they keep to try, you know, try to hide behind the door and do it. But there's never a time when we haven't been pressured in one way, shape or form within the last couple of years, anyhow. Which at least tells me that we're on to something important. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm, I'm a free human being and I'm not hurting anyone. Um, and I have adult conversations. So anyone who wants to censor that can go to hell. They have no right. Next we have... What do you guys think of the internet being used as a crowdsource for ideas? The idea being, you inject ideas into pop culture. Then those ideas filter through hundreds of millions of minds and the ideas change and evolve. Then on the back end of the internet where they are scooping all the data up, they collect the fresh ideas and use them. The biggest think tank known to man. Well, that's easy. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised at all. (laughs) That actually makes sense. Yeah, it's almost like the automated version of the social engineering and social programming that we covered, you know, as far back as the 60s and even earlier. Uh, It's just a bit more automated, but it seems like the same game to me. Next, we hear from Josh S. Music, movies, and all types of media are pushing the sexualization of our culture hard. We've all seen the subliminal messages in Disney and all types of children's programming. What do you feel is the motivation behind those that are running this stage we live on to push this so hard? It's a simple thing. Alchemy points it out time and time again. Um, To be sexually charged society all the time is a base animal instinct, and that's what's being manipulated here. But it's even much worse than that because foundationally we all understand that the natural world is built on male and female. A male participates in the recreation of a new living thing, and the female creates that new living thing. This is also being attacked, uh, where they're trying to blur the lines of what the role of a man and a woman are in a natural world. But to cut to the chase here, um, they're instilling, you know, it's a bit like that movie They Live, right? He's walking down the street, and it says, obey consume, um, reproduce. These are the ideas. They're lower base ideas. That's why it's being done. I think it's much easier to control people when you destroy their morals and values, whether that's consciously, unconsciously, or subconsciously. Next, we have Terry from Michigan. What is up with the media and all the supernatural, alien, Bigfoot, ghost, and paranormal demon shows? Fear porn, I would say. <laughs> and completely devoid of common sense. Um, at this point in this world, there are very few places that aren't being filmed. Uh, there are very few places where the people in that place that might not currently being filmed have cameras in their pockets. So I would ask, uh, is it really possible for things like this to exist and not be filmed all the time? Uh, I will always revert to common sense when it comes to these things. But I mean, come on, if it's coming off television, we know what it's for. Well, I think the easy answer is it's fun. It's a, a great distraction from everyday boring life, isn't it? And then they can inject whatever concepts they want into these programs to steer you whatever direction they want to. Oh, entertainment. Go in and hold our minds. 
Next, we hear from Andrew. I am a newer member. I am a Christian who is being introduced to the idea that all is not as it seems, and I have become very confused. You have studied many religions, but do not adhere to any one specifically. You have also stated that you are not afraid of death. What are your expectations when you die in regards to meeting the Creator of our world? Do you pray? Do you ask for forgiveness of your sins? How do you view morality in regards to good and evil within yourself? Do you believe in free will, or are some things predetermined by a sovereign God as the Bible tells us? I believe in free will. I think that's the whole game here, and I think that's probably the base for most of the social engineering is to get you to use your free will to make unhelpful decisions, to get back to the upper part of this. Um, why, if you logically see part of the problem with death in the Western world is we hide it, right? No one ever sees death. Very few people do. If someone in the family dies, they whisk them away. You know, the people in the in the hearse show up. They whisk the body away. Um, in this special place, they process the body. Um, some religions still do the open casket casket thing. But for the most part, it's this scary thing that nobody knows about and they just want to imagine it's not really there because I've got years and years to live, so why do I need to think about that now? And that's unhelpful. I've looked at death, I've meditated on death, and there is one overarching common sense logical conclusion anyone can come to. Everything here is temporary. In a hundred years, Every person living in this world will no longer be here. Every person you've known or ever known will be gone. It's part of nature. It is part of the great cycle of things to have your time and then move on to whatever's next. Um, To some degree, the remainder of your questions seem a little Western religion-based, but the only person I ask forgiveness of is anyone I've ever wronged. If I've specifically wronged a person, I might ask that person's forgiveness, but for the most part, it's about me. I make my decisions. If I have good and evil things in my head, I work them out with the intention to get to the good side of the ledger every time that I can. For me, it is about free will. And for me, uh, we have a consciousness that allows us to do nearly anything we want, and that makes us very different from most of the other living. It is definitely man and not God telling you what you should and shouldn't do. But let's break this down into something very simple. I think everybody knows in their heart of hearts what is good and what is bad. You know. You know that you should be a decent human being. If you're being evil and selfish, it's obvious. You know you're doing these things. You know, Jason, common law is based on the idea you just said. You don't have to teach anyone what's right and wrong because the vast majority of us will understand. Um, And that's the basis of common law, or basically your sovereignty cannot infringe on the sovereignty of another to do a very broad overarching, uh, and and I agree with that. I think organized religion, just to be perfectly blunt about it, is used as a control mechanism from the top down just like everything else. As far as picking a specific religion that has the spiritual concepts right, I don't believe that's true. I personally have a very open spiritual view, and I definitely believe there is greater things in this existence than the physical because I have experienced it myself. I know very well that there is. But I've never seen any of the religions on earth get it just right. And I don't want to infringe on anyone's religious beliefs, but when you start letting go of the concepts that have been pounded in your head by any specific religion, you will start to connect with the greater universe, let's say. You know, 
you can learn something from any group of beings in this world, and the older that tradition and the older the culture, maybe there's more there to be learned. Um, as far as organized religion, I will never have any truck with it. I will take no part in it. I will not join it because, in my view, the bane of modern existence resides in corporation the corpse, that dead entity that is slowly controlling every facet of modern existence. At this point, the corporations own nearly everything. And when you look at what's become of so-called modern religions, nearly all of them, with so few exceptions, are corporations. I will have no part of that. I will learn what I can, but I don't need a dead entity trying to influence my spiritual life at all. And the last question for hour one comes from Donald. Why are the three main meats we eat as people beef, pork, and chicken? It can't be the size, as buffalo could feed many compared to a chicken. <laughs> can't be taste, as many meats are delicious. Surely a llama or ostrich could have been as easily domesticated as a pig. What are your thoughts? I think it's just about what part of the world you're in. If you go to other parts of the world, um, it's a lot different. For that matter, if you go to India, I don't think they eat cows at all. They roam the street and they're considered sacred. But for my part, I think it just happened to be what was handy. Um, and by the way, uh, it wasn't too, too long ago, uh, early 90s maybe, when they were trying to bring ostriches uh, or emus, I forget which, um, into the restaurants and calling it another white meat with low fat and touting all its benefits. But I would further point out what I have noticed is that since the mid-90s, many of the people born from that time to now, so many of them are vegetarians now, um, to put a capstone on that. I think it just depends upon where you come from, just different cultures have different ways of doing things. And in the Western culture, those are just the things that big business happen to capitalize off of. I think it's as simple as that. It probably has to do with corporation too, right? If you're the big corporation that controls all the cattle, are you going to let emus come and get into your market? You probably do anything you could to stop them, right? So there's probably a lot of that going on too. Thanks, corporations. Right. And I think that's going to do it for hour one, Crow. Why don't you go ahead and wrap us up? All right, man, that brings hour one of episode 124 to a close. Um, just to do a refresher here, Jason and I will be Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Truth Frequency Radio uh, with a new interactive show that goes an hour called Crow 777 Live. There are a ton more questions. It's probably going to take us more than one episode to get through them all. At any rate, uh, I hope to see you all over at Crow 777 Radio. And by the way, some of these questions were stacked to get them into the free speech zone that is my private website. There it is, man. Cheers.